We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles, a 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Kyle Madsen. I write about the 49ers over at NinersWire.com. That's part of the USA Today Sports Media Group. Joining me shortly is Chris Biederman. Well, actually, you know what? Joining me right now is Chris Biederman. Hey, Kyle. He covers the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. Hey, you get to go to Lambeau this week. I do. Yeah. It'll be my third time in uh, at Lambeau. It's been a weird season for me from a travel standpoint. I haven't been going um, to the games this year because my job's changed with with the B. Um, and, you know, I do I do other things aside from uh, aside from just 49er stuff. You can read about Jensen Brooksby, ATP newcomer of the year in 2021. It's big He's time. ATP is tennis. Um, so, yeah, so uh, it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Green Bay. I mean, Lambo's Lambo's Lambo. It's incredible. Um, Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there when it's six degrees out? I was there. The first time I was there was the 2013 um, oh, wild card game. Wild card game. Yeah, I actually. So I took a red eye. I had two connections. I connected in Houston and then Chicago. And at some point got food poisoning along the way. Oh, that's um, right. So I flew I overnight Friday. I got super bad food poisoning. Um, I woke up Sunday so I was traveling basically Saturday morning, got there Saturday night, um, stayed at just like the most rinky dink Green Bay hotel ever. I was like super on a budget back then and definitely paying my own way, not having a newspaper and a credit right. card and all those things. And uh, I ordered pizza from somewhere and like got a large pizza. There was no refrigerator in my room. Um, I don't know if that was the source of my food poisoning or if it was a breakfast I had along the way during my my trap, my flight. Sure. Um but I came very close to not even like going all the way to Green Bay and not even going to the game. Oh, uh, no. And in Green Bay, I mean, Green Bay is, is the funny thing. I don't think people, if you haven't been to Green Bay, I think what's misunderstood about Green Bay is it's literally not a big town. Like it is very much a tiny, tiny town. Right. And Lambeau Field is unquestionably the tallest building like in the area, right? Like you can see it from, uh. on a clear day. Um, so I ended up, I, I have like terrible food poisoning. I'm super nauseous and they, they have shuttles that pick up from different points and, and go to green Bay or go to Lambeau. And I get on, it's a school bus. 
So I get on the school bus loaded with drunk Packers fans who are all pounding Coors Lights like it's before a playoff game, right? They're, they're on their hunting gear. And I'm being like, and you're nauseous. Oh, just oh. so, dude, like I came so close to just completely losing losing my lunch for the 500th time on that bus. I, I managed to make it up to the press box. I didn't know if I had food poisoning or like a stomach bug. So I didn't go um, to post-game access with like the uh, the press conference and all that because I didn't want to get anybody else sick in case it was a stomach bug, but I'm pretty sure it was food poisoning. And uh, yeah, Colin Kaepernick led that last second drive. 49, he almost threw a pick six. <laughs> that would have lost him the yeah. game, but that was... Um, Sam Shields, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so that was that... I'll, I'll never forget that because that's the only time I've ever worked with food poisoning. That's the only time I've ever had food poisoning. But So hopefully, knock on wood, there's no... Uh, there's no food poisoning on this. No trip, adventures yeah. this time. Stay, staying in <laughs> Appleton, flying to Milwaukee, driving up, renting a car. Hopefully it doesn't snow. I think I think it it looks like it'll be okay. But yeah, I mean Lambo's incredible. If you can go to Lambo, go to Lambo. Um, it's it's really tough logistically in terms of like finding hotels and reasonable airfare and all that. But if you can go, go because it's there's no other. There's no experience I think in North American sports really like it like Lambo particularly for a playoff game. So I'm excited to go. I always, I forgot until very recently when I went back and looked at that game, I forgot that game winning drive was five minutes and six seconds. They had to burn so much time (laughs) and they did it. It's uh, is remarkable. Uh, Eric Crocker is going to join us today. Former NFL cornerback. He also played in the arena football league. I believe he won a, championship in the arena league with the San Jose Sabercats host of the locked on 49ers with Brian Peacock. Very, very good podcast. Highly suggest uh, you also check that one out. He, uh, Croc also hosts locked on NFL draft. Follow him on Twitter at Eric underscore Crocker. One of the, like one of those guys in this business that like, I always expect he's going to be doing like every day. I expect to find out he's going to be doing something like more than he's doing the previous day. He's super talented cat. He feels like one of those guys that's like going to end up on TV at some point. Yes. Like he has a YouTube channel and, and I know uh, he does his morning shows pretty frequently. I don't know how often, but I feel like they're almost daily, but yeah, just like super knowledgeable knows the game. Um, I think he coaches the game. He works with, with prospects um in term and like you know getting ready your college players or high school players whatever it is um but yeah definitely one of the best voices right now in terms of somebody who can break down the game and uh and he's and it's it's all 49er centric so if you're not following eric crocker you definitely should yep and if you're not listening to this podcast you definitely should because we're going to talk to eric crocker right now subscribe rate and review yeah do that Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. Kittle in Denver territory. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. Bosa's got him, and he'll sack him back inside the 30-yard line. Nick Bosa drops Aaron Rodgers for a 13-yard loss. All right, Eric Crocker's here, and uh, Eric, 
How you doing, man? You haven't been on the pod in a long time, but you're doing a ton of other stuff right now. Doing Lockdown 49ers, Lockdown NFL Draft. Uh, how you been, man, besides busy? Oh, man, chilling. Actually, I mean, having a, a good time. You know, there's some perks to actually, like, covering a team. You can use everything as a text write-off. So I'm flying around, going to these different <laughs> games, and, uh, you know, it's a business It's a business expense, man. After, of course. After, after uh, you know, I, I need it for the business stuff, so... It's pretty cool, but now I'm 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 having a good time, man. Shout out to oh, the 49ers man. for turning the season around. It's it's made it a lot more uh, pleasurable to watch. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So speaking of speaking place. of business expenses, I, I'm just curious. You you were in the stands in Dallas. What just what was that experience like? How many Niners fans were there? And uh, just just could you take us through what the atmosphere was like late in that game? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I think it was probably 65, 35. That that's what I was saying at the game. Just kind of watching it. I mean, they had it kind of split up in half. Like this side was, you could clearly see that's a 49er side. The other side, you could clearly see it's a Dallas side. And they were just, you know, fans sprinkled in on both sides uh, from each side. But I'd say about 60, 65, 35, maybe even closer to 40, you know, 60, 40. But uh, it was clear who the home team was. As opposed to the week before I went to the Rams game. <laughs> and it was like, oh, no, the 49ers are the home team here. In Dallas, it was clear they were the home team, uh, but yeah, the fans they were they weren't as rowdy as I thought they would be for most of the game. They were really quiet. 49ers jumped out to a lead, obviously, but when Jimmy Garoppolo threw that interception, that's when you could tell, like, okay, we are in Dallas because it got loud. When Jimmy did throw that pick, it felt a little to me like, oh, that was coming. Like you have to build that into 49ers games at this point. Yeah, you know, he's liable to let one or two get away from him. <laughs> and I, I think that's the that's the whole roller coaster ride with Jimmy Garoppolo, right? You know, you, you know he plays well enough to where you're gonna be in pretty much every game that you play in. He potentially can help you win at the end. You also know that with him, you're probably not gonna blow out teams that you probably should, because there are some of those a missed throw to Brandon Ayuk on third down where he's wide open. And I mean mm-hmm. that that would probably would, would have been a nail in the coffin but you missed that throw. The interception where you just sell it five yards over somebody's head or five feet over somebody's head when he's wide open. So, uh, you know, Jimmy is liable to do those things, but obviously he does just enough to make sure that the 49ers end games to potentially win, which they did on on Sunday. So looking ahead to Saturday's game, it it seems like if, if there's an Achilles heel potentially for the 49ers to exploit from the Packers, it's that their run defense isn't great, right? And we know the 49ers are most successful when they can run the ball and put Jimmy Garoppolo in more favorable situations, particularly third and short rather than, you know, third and 12 or whatever. So in terms of just how the 49ers match up, aside from that, what else do you potentially look at in terms of uh, factors that could swing the game in, in the 49ers way, allowing them to, to pull out the upset? Yeah. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head there, the 49ers, and everybody, oh, they're a run team. They're a run team. And, and they are. That's kind of their identity. But I think a lot of what they do is run the ball to set up the passing plays as well. And when the 49ers can really get the run game going and kind of get those layup throws for Jimmy Garoppolo, some, you know, get him on those big bootlegs or on the move where he could just dump it off to crossers. I think picking up those chunk yardage plays and kind of uh, painting a, a clearer picture for him that's what's ultimately going to help the 49ers win. Because at some point, you're going to have to throw the ball. You know, and, unless 
they pull a 2019 NFC championship game where you only have to put the ball in the air eight times. That's highly unlikely. The weather, we'll see how much it permits him to throw the ball. And what does Jimmy Garoppolo look like throwing in that type of weather? We know he has the thumb injury. Now there's a shoulder injury. So are the elements going to kind of work against him? But establishing the run game, first and foremost, I think that's what's going to open up everything else. And like you said, you know, Packers defense, that's that statistically on paper, DVOA or whatever numbers you look at, they haven't been very good against the run. And I think that plays into the 49ers hands. How much does with the Niners run game, like it's not, it's hard to put a finger on like what style it is because it's not just like a power run game. They get to the edges and they stretch defenses horizontally, but there's definitely a physicality to it. Does that play to their hands when it comes to the weather? Like we talk about the weather affecting Jimmy Garoppolo, but is that harder on a defender? Like you played cornerback professionally. Does that get, does that get more difficult? Like as the game goes on, it's, one degree out and now you're having to tackle a guy for the 15th 16th 17th time yes and i never played in that cold the weather and i know the 49er players on defense they're going to be thinking about it, especially when you have what aj dylan that's his name yeah dylan running downhill and he's like 250 pound running back and he runs four or five so you got that speed and mass and all that uh coming at you but as far as the 49ers go it's 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 interesting because it is kind of this like fluid like almost like a finesse blocking scheme, but they have like the most aggressive people doing it. So when you look at Trent Williams and what he does to guys, I mean, he's trying to destroy you. Uh, George Kittle, he has no problem, uh, you know, just pass blocking or run blocking for the entire game and only receiving one passing target. He only got targeted one time against Dallas. That's, That's crazy. crazy. He was still able to win. But they have the guys that are really made up of the right stuff that contribute in the run game. And I think that's what makes it more difficult. Like these guys enjoy doing it. Not a lot of guys like enjoying doing the nasty stuff. George Kittle, he takes pride in that. You know, we, we've all seen a video of him pancaking the Falcon defender in the end zone and like screaming, right? Just like, uh, you know, just like, like he gets like an adrenaline rush from it. And in this type of weather, I feel like they have the guys that are going to take on that persona of like, man, I, I, this, this is what I love about football. I, I don't, and I'm pretty sure the DBs don't, but those guys do. So I think that's definitely going to help uh, contribute to the run game. I rewatched the, the week three game today, and it, it was just, I mean, what really stood out were, were just how different the circumstances were and the way the 49ers utilized their personnel and who was available. You had Trey Sermon as really their only healthy running back with Elijah Mitchell on the shelf with that early season shoulder injury. Debo Samuel wasn't being used in the running game at, at anywhere close to what he is now. Um, and you had Brandon Ayuk was still sort of hit and miss early on in the season. I, I'm just curious when, when you think about how far the 49ers offense has come as the season has wore on, and that includes Juwan Jennings, right? And it, it includes, um, you know, George Kittle coming back. He was, he was a little bit banged up early in the season and ended up missing some time after that. But just what what stands out to you about the the evolution of the 49ers offense and and how it you know sort of struggled early on in the season and then got better and better and now seems like it's it's clicking on on all cylinders right now. I think it could be summed up as one thing and it's identity. They they found it. That was the big conversation early in the year, really the whole first half of the season. Who are the 49ers? What style do they want to play? When is Trey Lance going to play? Why is he not getting any snaps? Jimmy Garoppolo, what's going on here? He turned the ball over. Yada, yada. Like, I mean, 
There was no identity. The fans didn't know what to get behind. We knew what the team was supposed to be and how they liked to play, but it, it just looked awkward. I think if you look down the stretch with how the 49ers have been playing, they clearly have found their identity and they approach the game the way that they want to. And it hasn't always been pretty. You know, we see the loss to Tennessee, you know, certain games like that. But they've been able to kind of find to find their way, even in times that aren't the most ideal situations. So I think the thing that has changed the most since week three, they, they've found their identity. Another On both thing sides of the ball. I know we talk about offense. I just said a whole lot about offense. I think defensively, too, they found their identity there as well. I want to. I'm glad you said that because I want to jump over to the defense. To me, the 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 position group that is the most different is that cornerback group, and I know that's kind of your 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 specialty when it comes to when it comes to talking ball. So in week three, it was Emmanuel Mosley's first game back from injury. Kwan Williams got hurt early, and I believe it was Josh Norman starting on the other side. Well. Emmanuel Mosley's back and Ambry Thomas is playing a lot better. And K1 Williams is healthy. Now is that, I feel like now that group is good enough that it's not going to be, I was in, here's, here's where I used to stand. I stood as recently as like six weeks ago in the camp that the Niners cornerbacks aren't good enough to beat the Rams or the Bucks or the Cowboys or any team that they're going to play in the playoff. And then they hold Amari Cooper and CD lamb to five catches last week. How has that group improved and are they good enough now to hang with the Packers and then the, the Bucks and then the Chiefs or the Bills if it comes to that? See, I think everybody's missing something here. It's not okay. even so much about, obviously you want talented players on the field, but it's about the puppet master and D'Amico Ryans and how he's constructed a defense around guys who, you know, especially on the outside for most of the season have kind of been a liability. But why weren't they ever, like, the issue as to why you were going to lose a game? 49ers heading into the playoffs had the sixth-ranked pass defense in the NFL. So a lot of people were worried about, oh, going to the Cowboys, they have all these different guys. And it's like, man, I've been one of those guys, too, worried about all the players that these other teams have. But then it's like, you know what? D'Amico Ryan's more times than not, and really I'd say 90% of the time, put together a really solid game plan to limit the explosive ability of opposing teams. And we've seen it every week. So I wasn't as worried. Uh, heading into the playoffs, even against uh, Dallas Cowboys. I think D'Amico Ryan has done a terrific job, whether he's running more too high. There was some cover two. I, this is probably the most cover two I've ever seen the 49ers run. Uh, they weren't running their quarters. But like everybody's firing all cylinders. You got the defensive line. They're getting pressure at a high rate. I think all those things contribute to a uh, secondary that, oh, man, it's not, not bad, right? You can win with it. And now you get, you know, you get Mosley back. He's playing at a high level. You get guys like... Uh, Ambry Thomas, he's starting to come along. And we saw where he was when he first got in, head spinning a little bit. What am I doing? He's in position to make players on the ball, but he's not. And each week, he just progressively got a little bit better. And I think that also has helped D'Amico Ryan's uh, against these opposing teams. I think one thing that really jumps out to me, and I, don't quote me on this, I haven't fact-checked this, but someone told me that the 49ers ran 83% zone against the Dallas Cowboys. You know, so that's D'Amico Ryan's maybe doesn't 100% trust guys that run a whole lot of man coverage, but he's figuring out different ways to kind of schematically put the 49ers in an advantageous situation and overall is working. Yeah. So, so going back to that week three game and, and just sort of a, 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 a characteristic of the Packers offense overall is the fact that like 
the entire world knows Devontae Adams is going to get a ton of targets. And even knowing that he's able to get a ton, like just be one of the most productive receivers in the league. And week three, he was targeted 18 times. No other Packer was targeted more than four times. He had 12 catches, 132 yards, including uh, the, the last two catches that set up the game-winning field goal. So when you watch the Packers, Matt LaFleur's really good at figuring out ways to get Devontae Adams open, whether it's finding matchups or space on the field or whatever, some pre-snap motion, all of those things. If you're D'Amico Ryan's, how do you approach that? Like, what's the key to stopping Devontae Adams? Because I think clearly the, the, the 49ers are not going to, I mean, maybe they could, but like, it's going to be really hard to overcome another huge Devontae Adams game on the road. There was a team, gosh, and I, I actually should write this down so I can talk about it. There was a team recently, and they just bracketed him, like, the whole game. And they said, you know what? You're not going to beat us. It was a game he had, like, four or five catches for, like, 40-something yards. Like, he didn't do a whole lot of damage. I did think he'd score, like, a touchdown. But, you know, how Green Bay, they get him the ball in, in the red zone on, like, two-yard touchdowns and things like that. But a team was able to limit him. And I think a lot of it was, hey, we're just going to bracket you everywhere you go. Now, D'Amico Ryan hasn't – was it Baltimore? All right, what, yeah, what six for numbers? 44. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, that's the game. It was late in the year. They just bracketed yeah. him, like, the whole time. So, do that. And that was a team – they were without a lot of their cornerbacks. I think that was the COVID game or something. I don't know. They, they, were, they were without a lot of guys. And they mm-hmm. still figured out a way to say, hey, we're not going to let you beat us. Make somebody else beat us. I think the 49ers need to take a page out of their book and see, hey, what they do, how they bracket him. Because if you leave anybody on the outside with him by himself, it is extremely tough. I mean, when, when I've never really seen anything like it, they will literally just say, all right, Devontae, I'm just run straight, right? And he'll just run straight. And they just, and, and A-Rod, he's so comfortable, and he just throw it. And if you're even with him, he throws the back shoulder to the most perfect spot. If, if he has half a step on you, he throws it ahead, and it just drops right in there. You can sometimes even have a guy over the top and he's running across the field and he just throws it into most. I mean, I don't know exactly how you defend them aside from doing what Baltimore did. And there were some screenshots from that game. They had a cornerback right here at the line of scrimmage on them. And a few yards behind that, they had a safety. And that might just be what you have to do to kind of limit the success that he'll have. You don't want him to be able to hurt you in this game. On the, at the same front, when it comes to defending the, the Packers in the past, like, Watching the Dallas game again, too, it was a lot of five and seven step drops, it seemed like, from Dak Prescott. And, and obviously that helps out the pass rush. The one thing that stood out about the Packers game earlier this season was Rodgers, and this has stood out really his whole career, just his ability to get the ball out quickly, right? And that's another thing LaFleur does well is, is the quick game. So if you're the 49ers and you're so dependent on your pass rush being effective like it was against Dallas, how do you combat the quick game and, and how do you maybe, I mean, obviously situationally you want to stop the run. So you are in like third and long and things like that. But if, if you're the 49ers and you're D'Amico Ryan's, what's, what's the focus in terms of stopping the quick game, knowing that you're not going to have the opportunities to get there with the pass rush on those longer drops, man. Yeah. Right. That, that was the big thing. I remember in that game, you, you talked about Devonte Adams and his numbers and, you know, 12 catches in the game for 130 some yards. Well, he had over 40 on that last drive off of two catches. So before that, you're telling me he had 10 catches for less than 100 yards? That's because the 49ers or the Packers were deciding, hey, we're just going to dink and dunk 
all, all game. And that's what they did. I, I would like to go back. I have to go back and watch and see how many of those passes were like right at or behind the line of scrimmage just to get the ball to his receiver in space. And, hey, go ahead and get five or six uh, yards after carry. Essentially what they did in that game was, hey, we're going to use this quick pass game as an extension of the run game. And we're fine with that. We're fine with doing that. And Aaron Rodgers, they were able to do that and be successful for most of that game. It is tough because when you think of Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams, first thing I talked about was him running down the sideline and how in sync they are doing that and how in rhythm they, they play doing that. But there is the quick game as well. And the only way to kind of combat that, especially to take it away from them, is you're going to have to play a little bit more man coverage than what you have. And again, go ahead, go back to bracketing Devontae Adams, play man. And, you know, one thing, and I don't know if the 49ers do this, but one thing that the Patriots have done, and, and they're really good at doing this, especially when they had Stephon Gilmore, they would put Stephon Gilmore on the team's second best receiver. And then they take their another corner, put him on the best receiver, and just bracket him and just say, you're not going to beat us because we're going to bracket your best guy with our second best or third best defensive back. And we're going to put our best corner, Stephon Gilmore, who makes everybody work on your second best receiver, and he's just erased, and we don't have to help him at all. So I don't know who the 49ers' best corner is. I'd assume it's Emmanuel Mosley. Hey, go put Emmanuel Mosley on Valdez Scantling or Lazard or one of those guys. Put Ambry Thomas on a guy and just bracket Devontae Adams, and that'll take away the quick game and make somebody else have to beat you. I don't know if they'll do that. Don't think they will, but <laughs> Bill Belichick, he's a pretty smart guy. Maybe you might want to take a page out of his book. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you, where do you land on the rust versus rest debate? Like, does it matter that the Packers haven't played a competitive game since Christmas? Uh, a, a well, the 49ers bit. have been playing playoff games basically that whole time. I, I think it helps. You know, everybody thinks about getting rest and, and your body being rested. And I think that that is true. I'm pretty sure the Packers are like, oh, it feels good to kind of just take a deep breath and relax. But also there is something about just staying in rhythm, staying in tune, staying, you know, within, uh, you know, the structure of what you do on a day-to-day basis, how you prepare, uh, going about practice, getting ready for a game. And the 49ers – and we've seen this, right, how sometimes the wild card team sneaks up on everybody because well, they have to fight the whole time. 49ers have been playing playoff games since the Texans game. You know, with Trey Lance, that was a playoff game. They lose that mm-hmm. game. They're not in the playoffs right now. And then, obviously, the comeback against the Rams and then the Dallas Cowboys and that whole weird dynamic. And a lot of people ask me, like, hey, you know, what do you think about them exerting so much energy into that game? Did they, did they use everything they got in the Rams game? 
Well, clearly the answer is no. They came out and punched the Cowboys right in the mouth and jumped out to a big lead on them. So uh, we'll see what's the right or, or wrong way. But I do think a certain level of, you know, staying with what you do and that structure helps you going into this game as opposed to having to buy. But we also saw the 49ers have a buy in 2019 and, you know, they beat up on the uh, Vikings. So maybe it doesn't matter. I'm curious because you're a former player. What's the coldest weather you've you've ever played in? Oh, uh, nothing like this. That's for sure. <laughs> um, in high school, uh, some in college, but in high school, because in college we play more day games for the most part. And in high school, we play those night games. And sometimes in the Central Valley, South California, it will get like cold. Like in, in November, sometimes that temperature starts to drop. And I played some like in the 40s type weather games. I remember playing against my guy, Lavelle Hawkins. He was at, he was over at uh, Edison High School. He, yeah, he, he he played a bunch of years. That's my that's my bro right there. That's my, I coached with him right here at Edison High School. But um, okay. when he played at Edison, I remember playing against him and my family, they left at halftime because it was just too cold. They're like, man, we're not watching this anymore. We're going home. So they left. So it was that cold. But on the field, you don't really feel it as much. You know, um, I, I, I live in Arkansas now, southeast Arkansas. It can get a little nippy. It'll probably be, you know, high 20s tonight. And sometimes in the morning it's cold as well. Well, I'll go work out. And when I'm leaving the gym and I come out with, you know, a, a cut sleeve shirt on or whatever, it doesn't feel like it's 30 degrees out. It feels like it's like 60 so once you start to get that blood flowing, that sweat going, and I think it was Bart Scott that said use Viagra, I guess the blood, I, I've never tried it, but uh, maybe it does. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that you don't feel it as as much. Now, I've never played in whatever they're about to play in, so I can't speak to that. But five degrees, that sounds hella cold. Uh, you of, know, I don't know how you prepare for that. As of right now, we're recording this Tuesday night. It's uh, Saturday is high of 22, low of zero with the 50% chance of snow and they're saying snow less than an inch, but it's probably going to come in the morning. So it'll, well, be, it'll, it'll be could, single digits by the time kickoff. Cause I mean, they the game is seven fifteen locally and sunsets at four forty seven. So it's going to be cold at that, from the jump. <laughs> and, and that's not even what it feels like, right? Because you right. have like the actual temperature and then it's like, the Oh, it chill. feels like this. Right. <laughs> oh, no, that, that's right. terrible. I hated playing golf in like high thirties last weekend. I can't imagine playing football in a scenario where the temperature is just like, Nope. Like there's literally, there's just no temperature. Um, is this been a successful year? You think for the 49ers? I think so. You know, it started off obviously re- really rocky and the only positive outcome was going to the playoffs when you don't play your rookie. So to be able to kind of put him on the shelf. And I think one of the most probably, optimistic things that could have happened was, hey, he went out against the Texans and he played a good game, right? He had a Jimmy mm-hmm. Garoppolo stat line, 16 to 23, 250 yards, two touchdowns, that one pick that Jimmy throws a lot, right? Trey Lance went out and had a good game and he showed a lot of like, okay, I see why we drafted him. Now let's build on that. So now, hey, you don't got to play for the rest of the year. We're finding what we saw. Now, okay, we, we, we played Jimmy Garoppolo to go to the playoffs. You go to the playoffs, you win a playoff game, I think, you know, if the, if the season were to end Saturday night, I would say this was 100% a success because not only did you get to see, you know, some good stuff out of Trey and you make the playoffs, stuff like that, you might actually get a little bit more for Jimmy Garoppolo with the trade value. You know, we'll see. So I, I wanted to ask you about Garoppolo because I, I think we're all, everybody here on this pod is, is in the same camp that, 
you know, Trey Lance should be the starter in 2022. Is there any scenario, like any realistic scenario that could happen over these next few weeks where it's like, it should probably just keep Jimmy Garoppolo around one more season? Or is it, is it sort of like, I mean, it's been reported. So it seems like the 49ers are going to stick with Lance sort of no matter what uh, the 49ers do these next few weeks. But is there a possible potentially realistic scenario in your mind that would have the 49ers being like, oh, we should, we should probably just roll it back with Jimmy one more time. No. Okay. And, 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 and the reason why I say no, I'm with you. I just wanted to hear your answer. The, the reason why I say no is because when you watch these games, there are weird enough moments to where you're like, that's, that's why, you know, I talked about not being able to like, like put your foot on some of these teams throats. He's had all the opportunity. Like, the 49ers have one of the best rosters in the NFL. They have a terrific roster. You got a plethora of weapons. And it's really difficult for Jimmy Garoppolo to put teams away unless the 49ers put teams away with the run game, right? When you look at the early Rams game, when you look at uh, the Jacksonville game, you know, even like the Vikings game, you know, you had to run three straight games over 40 attempts running the ball. So that's not to say that Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't contribute to wins, but I don't think he does anything to go above and beyond to where it's like, you know what? I just absolutely can't get this from another solid quarterback. So I, I think you have more benefits of letting him go, you know, freeing up $25 million or whatever it is, being able to put that into the rest of the roster around your young rookie quarterback. Uh, and again, I, I think he showed enough in the te- Texans game to show, Hey, I am on the right path to being able to do the things that Kyle Shanahan wants him to do. And now, put him in a situation where he gets an entire offseason. He's the guy that's built everything around him, starting from OTAs, rookie mini or mini camps, all those things, training camp preseason. He gets all the first team reps. Uh, I think it's an ideal situation to really just kind of part ways with Jimmy Garoppolo and, and tell him, thank you for your services. I think it would also Even if help. you win a Super Bowl, even if you win a Super Bowl, because I think if you were to write a script on how to win the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo, it would be uh, run the ball 40 times, try to not throw it as much and hopefully we don't get that weird Jimmy Garoppolo moment. So just the fact that that's how we think we 49ers have to win. I I assume that you would part ways with that. I don't think there's any incentive to keep that around. And I think it would help too. We talk a lot about like Kyle Shanahan's fourth down play calling or the late game play calling. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact he just doesn't trust his quarterback to make a play and teams know that and defend them as such your thoughts. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it is confusing because I feel like he wants to be really aggressive, but then he does these things. And there were a couple of times, a couple of opportunities to go for it on fourth and, and one. And he like, didn't. So I don't know. I always look at Andy Reed. Right. And I remember in the Super Bowl, Andy Reed, it's like fourth and one from like their, uh, the 49ers nine yard line or something like that. And he lines up and they do that little spin. Remember that they lined up like three guys in the backfield. They all spun out. Then they snapped the ball, ran, they yeah. got the first down. And just how aggressive his mindset is at all times. Kyle Shanahan, his aggressive mindset is more so of a kind of like a front runner type. When it's kind of tight or a close game, it seems like he's a little less likely to go for it on fourth down as opposed to when he's up about 10 points. I mean, go back to the Rams game, the first one, it was like fourth and seven from like the 40, but oh, I'm up. So he goes for it. Jimmy throws a slant for a touchdown. But it's like, like what? Like where'd this aggressiveness come from? (laughs) So I don't even know if it's a Jimmy thing or if it's a Kyle thing where Kyle just isn't sure of, or, or, or he double 
He double like he he second guesses himself. And we've seen that on multiple occasions. I mean, look at the Jaguars game. Remember, they had the 20 play drive, and you mm-hmm. get it down to like the, Kick a field goal. the three yard line, and, and and you only need one yard to pick up a first down. And he's like, nah, okay, we used up 12 minutes o'clock, 20 plays, but let's kick a field goal. Like, yeah, that was a little weird. But then later in the game, he goes for it on fourth and short and he gets it. But he was up at that time. So it might be mm. more Kyle Shanahan than Jimmy G. Interesting. Is is there an element of that? Because I've thought a lot about this over the last few weeks, because it always feels like to me that Kyle Shanahan's weird fourth down decisions come in pairs, or at least like there's more than one per game. And he's like that guy at the blackjack table who doesn't know whether or not to hit on 16. I don't know if you're familiar with blackjack or not. But... I'm 100%. Yeah, nah, <laughs> so, I know exactly what you yeah. So, but, uh, but also like, it feels like he's more conservative when the defense is playing well, which sort of goes to like, the like that that's pretty typical of like NFL defensive coaches where it's like no we'll play to the defense and we'll we'll do it that way like is is that part of it like is the Niners has the Niners defense been good enough to to trust it in that way in terms of the way Kyle Shanahan's approaching fourth down well maybe it depends and maybe this is going to contradict something I said about who's playing quarterback but you have a rookie who you don't trust and you go for it every fourth down against the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> right. And, right. and then you go into the Texas game and yeah. you do the same thing. When a rookie, you, you don't trust the kid and you're still going for it on fourth down. So I don't know. I don't even think Kyle knows when or why. I think he just is like, it's just a random thought in his head. He's like, uh, I'm just going to go for it. Or like, uh, I'm not, I don't know. I, I don't think he, I don't think he has any rhyme or reason as to why he does it. Like if you were to do like a psych evaluation on what's he, what he's thinking fourth down, It'll probably just be all over the place because I don't even think he knows. It's all gut stuff. Yikes. Like it's all it's all just in his <laughs> gut. And it's yeah. That's that I that's swear. one of the more confounding things about Shanahan. Cause I think he does a great job with the offense and play calling and is you know, he has his issues with clock management, but the thing that really sticks out to me is fourth down. And just given how analytically forward the 49ers seem, it's just odd that that's such an issue for them. I swear he coaches like a pissed off Madden player. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that's been me plenty of times. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm going for this fourth down. I'm so mad. Like the, the against Green Bay, when they couldn't get it into the end zone at the end of the first half, they were in like 10 plays from inside the 10. And then it's like two seconds left. All right, fine. Put Trey Lance in and we're running it. I'm Like it was. It's, yeah, what uh, is that? Like how random is that? Right. Like clearly. And he's and he has told us as such, he has no intentions heading into a game to play Trey Lance. Like he has right. these packages that he knows Trey Lance can run. But he doesn't go into the game thinking, hey, in this situation, I'm going to get Trey Lance into the game. But fourth down, you're down 17 points, and you say, you know what? This would be a great time for the rookie to get in there and just run. Like, what? <laughs> it's wild. Just totally on tilt. Um, let's get a prediction from you. If you're ready to make one, we usually ask people this later on in the week, uh, but it is Tuesday. Have you watched and studied enough to have a prediction for Saturday? I, I have not, but I, I'll say this. I like the 49ers against the Dallas Cowboys if they did not turn the ball over more than one time. I felt like the 49ers would win. But I thought that's what it was going to take against a team that takes the ball away a lot, right? The Cowboys, mm-hmm. they're the most takeaways in the league. Uh, they have a high-power offense that can put up points. So you don't want to turn the ball over to a team like that because they're capitalized on it. And that was scary to me, especially with the playmakers that they had. I feel like the Packers are a better matchup for the 49ers. Now, mm-hmm. are, are, are they going to win? And, and obviously the thing that scares you the most, okay, well, they got Aaron Rodgers, they got Devontae Adams. But outside of that, 
there's not a whole lot that scares me about who the Packers are, even though they're the number one seed in the NFC. So I actually like the 49ers. I think this the style of game that they're going to have to play plays right into the hands of the 49ers, being that smash mouth team, uh, doing the different things, getting the ball with, to Debo Samuel in space against a team that hasn't done well against the run and be able to, you know, pass off of that. You know, I, I like the 49ers as long as they don't turn the ball over more than one time. So I'll, I'll go 49ers, and I think they're actually going to score some points. We're going to go 24-20 49ers on the road. Money yeah, line. I like it. Let's go. That, that, would, that would be wild. <laughs> that would be wild. Yeah, man, I, I'm with you. Like, I think there's a lot to the fact that the 49ers have been playing with their backs against the wall for basically since mid-November. Right, because they had no they had no margin for error after they be, after they fell to three and five, and they responded in the way you want to see. And like we've seen it happen before, where these wild card teams can just get hot, and it's just about being being the hottest team at this time of the year. And you're playing a Packers team that you know, like Kyle said, they haven't really played a meaningful, super competitive game in a few weeks. And you know, I think the 49ers do have an advantage because I think when you do get to this time of year momentum can matter right like week to week like just having that urgency being like all right we have to go beat the rams all right we have to go beat the cowboys on the road and now you feel i don't know if comfortable is the right word but you feel you like you're you're in that mode where it's like all right we're the underdog again going on the road like i think there's real value to that at this time of year yeah yeah and i think you know more than anything you talked about you know getting a rhythm getting hot at the right time i think the thing that's right right now is they have the right coaches and it's, it feels like these coaches, as long as the players execute, do what they're supposed to do, I mean, they're putting this team in position to win, you know, on both sides of the ball. And I, I think I'm very confident with that. I think the DVOA numbers kind of back that as well. And I don't even know what DVOA means, but I know everybody puts that on Twitter. <laughs> so I've seen the rankings. I know they're ranked high in both of them. So, yeah. you know, when you kind of look at that and, and how they're being coached, how they're playing, and, and the guys that – you know, their best players are playing at a high level. So, you know, when, when you have things like that going, man, I, I think that's what gives you more confidence that, hey, man, like this team can go and beat anyone as long as they don't turn the ball over two or more times. <laughs> I like it. And they're prone to do that. So we'll see. <laughs> All right, Croc. Hey, thanks so much for your time, man. This is great. Um, Locked on 49ers podcast, Locked on NFL Draft and Frontline Sports Media at Eric underscore Crocker on Twitter. Make sure to give him a follow. One of, the best in, there. one of the best in the business, Crock. One of the very best. All your content, man. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, Crock. Uh, appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.